This week, we're talking about the difference between liquidity and bankability. Hey there, I'm David C. Barnett, and you're watching Small Business and Deal Making, the broadcast podcast YouTube channel where I talk about buying, selling, financing small and medium sized businesses while managing risk. So, if you're interested in taking the future into your own hands by becoming a business owner, or if you already own a business and you're looking at growing or exiting one day, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I interview interesting people, and I answer your questions right here. So don't forget, hit like, hit subscribe, and if you're really smart, subscribe to my email list. Isn't that amazing? I have a canned introduction now. Last week, I talked about net worth statements. And what was interesting is that <clears throat> that video got a very low number of viewers on YouTube in general. But when I shared it on other platforms like LinkedIn and stuff, I actually got a very high level of engagement amongst a particular group of people, uh, bankers. Um, a lot of positive comments from bankers about what I said in the video. And some of them even shared some of the things that they've seen in net worth statements. Um, in one of the LinkedIn groups that I'm in, someone was saying how frustrating it is for a banker to have to uncover things in a personal net worth statement and just how disappointing it is when they realize that things are not correct. Uh, in fact, literally said that if they discover that something's been overstated on a net worth statement, they just kind of throw the file in the garbage. So if you haven't, please go check out that video from last week. But this week, I want to talk about bankability versus liquidity, because the net worth statement is often presented to bankers when you're making an application for a loan to, to buy a business. That's what we're talking about here on this channel. And so if you go out on the internet and you start to watch what is available and, or read what's available about buying a business and financing, you almost always end up in conversations about qualifying for bank loans or getting business financing to buy a business because there's a whole industry out there called the banking industry um, that is out there to try to provide loans. And the business brokerage industry in a large part, especially in the US, is very dependent upon those business credit providers to create the liquidity that is required to buy businesses. In the vast majority of cases though, and I'm talking about a global scale, the vast majority of cases, small businesses change hands without a business loan, okay? And this is one of the things that was really highlighted to me back when I had my business brokerage office open from 2008 until the end of 2011. The majority of the deals I did, 70% of the deals I did, did not include any kind of business loan for the buyer to acquire the business, okay? That doesn't mean they, did it, they didn't do it with debt. They did do it with debt, just not with a business loan. And that's what I want to get into today a little bit deeper because most of those deals, again, 70% of them were done between the buyer and the seller where the buyer provided money on closing day for a down payment. And this ranged wildly from a low of 20% up to like a high of 70, 80%. And the balance that was due for the purchase of the business was carried by the seller, what we call a seller note or vendor financing, vendor take back, et cetera. So where did the buyer get the cash, okay? So there's many different places. Now, in the traditional sense, when you're thinking about a bank loan, if the bank is gonna be providing a business loan to buy a business, the buyer is often required to have a down payment, and this down payment needs to be 
from their own resources typically. Um, and when I say buyer, I mean an individual or a group of people. So if you have partners, some of them may be putting in money, others may not. Okay, so the buyer as the, the party making the acquisition, whether one person or many, they need to have some money to bring into the deal because the banker is gonna be concerned about the debt to equity ratio. They're gonna be concerned about the buyer having skin in the game, many considerations. If we remove the banker from the table, what ends up happening is all of a sudden, a lot of the constraints that a buyer might face um, with respect to their net worth statement and with respect to you know, rules about the bank loan suddenly are gone, okay? And, and you, all of a sudden you're now in a much more flexible environment. So the buyer, if there's no bank involved, could come up with a down payment that is largely borrowed perhaps, okay? And what it means is that no one's gonna say, no, you can't do that. If there's no bank involved at the closing table, the seller might have additional inquiries or requirements or want to know more things about the buyer. Um, having a bank loan gives a seller a great sense of comfort knowing that the bank has done due diligence on the buyer as far as a credit um, examination. But if we don't have a banker there, it means that the buyer is now free from the constraints of the rules. And this is the key point. So where if, if a buyer is going to borrow money to buy a business and there's no business loan involved, what, where is the money coming from? Well, it's coming from personal credit facilities. And personal credit facilities are often granted based on a whole wide range of other criteria outside of examining the business that's going to be purchased. So for example, if you have a well-paying job and uh, you pay all your bills on time and you have a good credit score, you're probably going to be offered credit from different lenders in a personal vein. So you might be offered personal lines of credit. You might be offered credit cards. You might be offered a HELOC on your home. You might have home equity that you want to refinance you know, to get equity out, all those kinds of things. So this is what I want to talk about today because there's a difference between liquidity, which is actually having cash available that you can write a check with and having net worth, which may or may not be in liquid forms. So let's talk about some of the most common places where net worth is concentrated for an individual and we'll talk about its liquid nature. So home equity is a big one, especially right now, this is 2021, home prices have shot up in a lot of markets around the world, um, especially in suburban areas where people have tried to get out of you know, downtown cores into a little bit more space because of the, um, the germ that's going around. So um, you might have a lot of home equity. Now, if you were planning to buy a business, you might think this is a source of available financing for me to get my down payment. And you'd be correct. However, being, you know, plaster, wood, concrete, asphalt, shingles, et cetera, that equity in its current form is not very liquid. You need to convert it into some kind of cash. Now, what a lot of people will do is they'll go and they'll get a home equity line of credit against their house they'll then know that they have access to this credit and they'll go looking to buy a business knowing they can write a check on that credit. Here's the issue though. Right now, the average PE ratio in the stock market is 47. That means people are paying 47 times earnings to buy a business on the stock market. And this is not a personal finance channel where we talk about stock market investing, but I can tell you that a lot of people are concerned about the value of the stock market. If the stock market were to go down suddenly, for example, we could have a crisis like we did in 2008 
or the dot-com crisis or any other crisis that you can remember before then. So um, the 1987, uh, what was it? Black Tuesday crisis. So there's a difference between having a line of credit secured against your home versus having a mortgage which has a specific term payment, et cetera, because the line of credit is often a callable debt. And this is the, the crux of what I wanna get into today is understanding what access do I have to cash to go and make a deal out of my own resources or my own credit and what does it look like if something were to go wrong? So if there was suddenly a stock market crash, which led to a real estate price crash, and I've got a home equity line of credit, and the bank is worried that the value of my house has dropped, they may call that loan. They might say, we're, we're reducing or eliminating your line of credit, you have 30 days to pay us. And if you've just written a check on that line of credit to buy a business, you may not be in a position to do that, and you could end up in all kinds of crazy problems, right? You might end up having to sell the house and then you'd be upside down. Like it could put you into a position of insolvency versus if you refinance the home and signed a mortgage, which was secured against the house, that kind of debt is usually not callable. And it's usually you have a contract. As long as you make the payments every month, the bank is going to be fine. They're not going to be looking for you to pay your mortgage in 30 days. So here are some of the things that I've seen people do. Um, when they were planning to buy a business. Because your plan and your time frame is going to dictate a lot about what you are going to do and the steps you're going to take. So for example, I, I was listening to a personal finance uh, podcast the other day and they were talking about saving up a down payment for a house. And the caller basically wanted to know from the person who was the host, you know, where should I invest this money I'm saving up for a down payment? And the host, I think very correctly said, if you're saving for a down payment, that's not money you invest. You don't put it in the stock market or anything like that. It goes into a savings account because your intention is that you're gonna write a check with that money in the next little while, year or so, right? Or two to buy a house. And that's its purpose. It, you don't want it subject to the fluctuation of the stock market or crypto market or anything like that. It's gotta be solid. And I'll point out, it should be in the currency that you intend to spend because you also don't want to be exposed to currency fluctuation. I've seen this happen, particularly with, with immigrants that have come here to my local area from country, <clears throat> from, for example, Asian countries where they'll have a lot of money in their home country. They'll move here and then something will happen and all of a sudden the exchange rates start to move and suddenly the money they thought they had starts to erode. Well, if you know that you're going to be buying a business in the next year or so, if you think that something could happen to create an opportunity for a good deal, then you want to position yourself to be liquid and be liquid in a position where um, it's unlikely that <clears throat> a change in the economic environment could cause a bank to suddenly want to recall the debt that you have. So um, we want to consider the terms. We want to consider our position. We wanna make sure that we're able to write a check. We wanna make sure that we're keeping the money in a place that isn't subject to a sudden fluctuation. Um, some of the things that I've seen people talk about online that give me a great deal of concern, uh, I'll, I'll explain one. You know how you, sometimes you get a letter in the mail that will say uh, like a balance transfer offer for a credit card and credit card interest rates are generally about 20% per year. And so I've actually seen people on YouTube 
recommending to people that they take a big cash advance against one credit card, which would immediately put them in a 20% interest bearing position. And then they use the balance transfer offer from another credit card to pay the first credit card. And usually these balance transfer offers have like a 3% fee associated with them. So now you've gone from paying a 20% interest rate to a 3% fee, which maybe gives you 12 months to carry that balance at 0% on the new credit card. The issue being, of course, that um, you now suddenly are going to end up a year from now with a debt bearing an interest of 20%. So here's what I've what I've seen, and 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 again, this is a big warning, is that there's a lot of people out there that will give you sort of debt hacking tools or credit card hacking tools or or other kinds of things, these ideas, these schemes, these plans. And what it's all based upon is how do we get the money together right now in this moment in order to make the deal happen and secure the purchase of whatever it is, the business in this case. What I would like you guys to consider before you get involved in anything like that is what happens on day two or more importantly, day 366, which is a year from now and one day. So you could end up, and I've seen this happen with many people over the course of my career, you can end up hobbling together a bunch of band-aids, band-aid financing solutions to put enough money together to make the deal happen, to put enough money on the table for the seller to agree to hold the balance, and now you own the business. And then you end up in a position where you can't cash flow all the debts. And maybe you can do it in day two, but you can't do it on day 366 because that's when all these other things start to kick in. You start to pay higher interest rates, et cetera. And I've seen more than one example of people buying a business in this kind of way, and then they end up a couple of years later losing the business because they just can't keep up with all the different financing obligations that they've committed to. Um, it's not about doing the deal. It's not about doing the deal. It's about doing a deal that makes sense, that is reasonable, that is within a reasonable risk tolerance, that is going to, without a doubt, be able to pay for itself, provide for your family, and get a return on your investment. That's what it's about. Anyway, that's liquidity versus bankability. I know some of you might have some strong feelings about this. Put them down in the comments. I look forward to chatting. We'll see you next time.